Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Drive Through FM. Today we're going to cover my top 10 lunch break games. So these are games that play less than an hour usually, or hopefully, <laughs> and they're going to be small footprint games and games that frankly have existed beyond my lunch group at work. So the last time I did a top 10 lunch break games was about four years ago. And recently last month I did a top 10 solo games. I got a lot of good feedback there. I ran a poll on my board game Geek Guild and the second place vote getter was top 10 skirmish games, which so I'm kind of breaking the law a little bit, I guess here. Uh, the top 10 skirmish game video is coming, but there's been a couple of newer skirmish games that I haven't had a chance to really play yet. I've acquired them over the last couple of weeks, started to play them, gonna to try to play them some more over the coming weeks. So hopefully next month that will come, if not the month after, just in terms of you know getting time to actually play the games and giving them a proper review first, and then kind of sit with them for a little bit and see where maybe they do or don't show up in my top 10 skirmish game list. So I kind of apologize to folks that were waiting for that one to come next. And I'm not gonna do any kind of like reviews and stuff and tack that onto this top 10 list. Most of the games I've been playing have been pretty good lately, so you've been seeing a lot of videos come out to, to begin the year. Uh, so you might see a podcast here in a month or a couple of months kind of going over some of the doldrums of the stuff that I've been playing. Uh, but this has been four years since I did this list. And like I said, my lunch group is dissolved. But these games have sort of survived that process of no longer having a lunch group at work. Folks have left the company, you know, we've shifted different teams and so on, schedules don't line up. But these games also have existed and played well with my family, with my game night group, uh, which, you know, was kind of like my gamer group. Uh, so these are lunchtime plus, but 100% guaranteed, these have all just been huge hits uh, with my lunch group. And again, like I said, above and beyond that. So let's jump in. I got one honorable mention. I just wanted to mention this because the reason this honorable mention is it's really kind of hard to find. It's not in English. So this is a game called Muterer. This is a game that came out in like 1990-something or other, 99, 98. Uh, Muterer basically means mutiny. And players are playing as crew of a pirate ship. And you're sort of trying to navigate this pirate ship to go and deliver goods and get treasure and that kind of stuff. But you also might be backstabbing the current pirate captain and taking over the ship and so on. So uh, there actually is a pirate ship variant that you can actually come in and it's going to try to ransack you and so on. So you're trying to sort of navigate where you want the ship to go and where you want to deliver goods because it's all done through kind of card play. And so there's this interesting sort of slow rolling like inch by inch card play that sort of gives people an idea of where you might want to be going but then there's like a roll selection quick grab and then people will grab rolls and then you don't know necessarily maybe somebody's mutinying or somebody's the captain and that kind of thing so it's really cool and really interesting you got to print out the rules on board game geek which i did here and tucked in this box uh hard time putting in my top 10 it probably should be in my top 10 but i don't want to recommend a game you've got to go hunt down and find a german version of and so on uh, and this is kind of like the sequel to another game called verator and i particularly like uh, muterer better than verator um, but I, I did like Verotter, but I've ended up still keeping Muterer. This, so if you want to track this one down and like an interesting kind of, it's like a social deduction game in a lot of ways with traders and stuff like that, but it's all driven through card play and so on. So it's really, really cool. So that's my honorable mention, Muterer. And then my number 10 is, I'll probably lose subscribers for this, but you know, goodbye. <laughs> this is Exploding Kittens. Uh, 
every time I mention this, I get some kind of like comment about how like it invalidates my integrity or something. I don't know. <laughs> like it's ridiculous. This game is super, super fun. I think this is like the most backed project ever in the history of Kickstarter. Um, and I would say this game is like, this. it honestly is more than meets the eye. This is just the most pure trash talking game that that there is so you basically flip a card reveal it if it's a bomb card if it's an exploding kitten then it explodes you unless you have a save card that you can discard and, and then you know not be defeated so everybody starts with the game with one of those uh so you can play that and then you stick the bomb back into the deck if you're able to save yourself but you take the deck and hide it and then either put it right back on top so the next player to go is going to draw it or you know you stick it at the bottom of the deck or you shuffle it in there or whatever you want to do and just that that aspect of the game is just really really fun so it reminds me a lot of like a cockroach poker and that kind of game if you've ever played that or something along that lines where it's just straight up bsing somebody to their face uh, but it has some other little cards and things so you can collect other cards you can play sets of cards to do different uh, various abilities and all the kinds of tricks and like you know move the the way the deck's going around all that kind of stuff so there's not like any real strategy or anything like that but it's just a riot to sort of play underneath the surface of like whatever conversation you're having and there's certainly an aspect of that to a degree even with like Muterer here and the rest of these games, uh, you know, give or take a little bit. Most, a lot of these are a little bit more involved in terms of a game, but it is something that I do enjoy about some games where you can play it. And in a lot of ways, you're thinking about the game subconsciously. You're not consciously involved. You're sitting around talking about whatever the news of the day, what's going on at work or what happened to you today, what happened to you. And the game is in the background sort of keeping some other part of your brain busy. I don't know. To me, that's a valid game. Like, a game doesn't have to really be the complete focus of my attention. And I dispute anybody that says that otherwise. Now, sometimes I like a lot of games, like On Mars, which I reviewed last week, I think, that it consumes the entirety of your attention. So that's a great game. This does something a little different. And I definitely recommend folks get Exploding Kittens. This is a not-safe-for-work edition. You can get a more work-friendly edition, but I did play this at work, even though it's not, it's not safe for work. It's not so explicitly so that somebody walking by isn't going to fire you for it. At least it happened to me. <laughs> so anyway, that's my number 10, Exploding Kittens. This stays in the collection. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to have a certain kind of sense of humor, and I don't mean like he has to be crass or anything. It's got nothing to do with the card art or anything, but in terms of like the game mechanic side of things, you got to have a certain sense of humor, and if you like this game, then I probably already like you. So... There you go. I've talked enough about Exploding Kittens. Number 10. Number 9 is an older game. This is a newer edition here from Osprey Games called High Society, uh, designed by Reiner Knizia. This is probably, yes, I would say the quickest game on the list, because you can play a round of this or a game of this in five minutes. Uh, it's a very interesting sort of auction game. Uh, you have cards that will be flipped up that are like treasures and other valuables that are come up and everybody has a hand of cards that are money cards that you're going to be playing to try to win or even not win because some of the cards, the treasure cards come up, they'll give you negative points. But once you play your money cards, they're gone. So everybody starts with the same denominations. So 
if you think of an auction, like say I, I bid the 10,000 and then Billy to my left, he does the 10 and the one, so 11,000. So he only incremented a little bit. He wants a little bit more than me, but he's lost his $1,000 card. So next time he wants to up somebody's bid, he's doing it with the 2,000 or the 8,000. And so maybe he's spending a little bit more money than he really, really wants to, even though he wants to outbid you, but he already used his one and his $2,000 denomination. So that's a real interesting uh, conundrum, but the real linchpin of it is, is at the end of the game, you're gonna see who has the most points of all the treasure cards that they've got, but whoever has the least amount of money in their hands automatically loses, they're knocked out, and then from the players that are remaining, then you see who has the most points. So that is just a cool mechanism. And the way that the cards come up can lead to a very quick game. It can lead to maybe at most like a 15 minute game. So this is very easy to get up, pick up and play, teach in like 60 seconds. I mean, I just basically taught you the game there in that quick explanation without even showing you any components. Um, and it's a fantastic game. It's just really quick, fantastic. You can, this is something like if it, if it was some kind of holographic resin thing that I could like grow out of my phone and put on the table, you could just keep, keep this with you at all times and then play it and then bang, there you go. To my mind, this is a lot more fun than like your typical, like the go-tos that I've always heard for years is like for sale, no thanks, that kind of stuff. I still have no thanks. I don't really have a reason to have for sale, but this is like right in that, teach it in 30 seconds, you're down and playing, you can play it in five minutes. High Society to me is just the crux of it because you get so many just cool situations that you don't always get in those others. Others can get very, very mathy. This still has a kind of a mathy angle, but the variability and how the cards are dealt and all that stuff, it just makes for silly good time. And the theme of it is just silly nonsense. So that's the number uh, nine, High Society. Now, number eight here is, I believe it's now called Linko, but I have here the copy called Abluxen. Now, this is a German version of this. I picked this up very early, but I believe it's been brought over as Linko by Robinsberger. This is a neat, 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 neat game. It's very hard to kind of explain. It's not easy to explain as high society. It's not a difficult game, but without kind of giving you like kind of the walkthrough how to play. You're basically trying to build like sets of cards and go out, kind of like a gin style game. Uh, there's some other kind of idiosyncrasies there that are, are tricky to, ble- uh, to explain, um, but you've got like this ascending, descending thing. So you've ever played like the game or the mind, nothing like those games, but you know, it's got some similar sort of aspects to how that happens. And then as you kind of sort of draft, draft cards, you know, off of the display and stuff like that, and you can kind of stick people with a bunch of cards and so on. It's really, really clever. It's a, it's a Kramer and Kiesling game. So they've done a lot of games, like probably a hundred games together over the last two, de- two, three decades. And this is one of my favorite games from them. Really intuitive and very simple. I'd say if you're like a fan of any kind of card games, you're going to see a lot of card games on this list. Uh, if you like card games of all, you like, you like playing gin, you like playing poker or whatever, you know, any kind of card game style thing, a Bluxen is probably going to end up being in one of your top 10 lists, I would, I would bet, right? It's, if you're a pure card gamer type of person, you love that. A Bluxen or Linko. Uh, is 100%. I have done a review for it. If you want to go search and I explain it in a lot more detail and some of the more m- micro, uh, you know, intricacies of the game, uh, or it's really, really clever game and very, very simple. All right, so that's number eight, a Blinko, a Blinko, a Bluxen or Linko. Uh, number seven here, I would say this is probably, arguably, not necessarily 
factually, but arguably, the heaviest game on this list. This is The King is Dead. And this used to be, I don't remember what the old edition was called. Um, this King is Dead, this is a new Osprey edition. I believe the old edition did not play two to four players. This one does play two to four players. I think the old one either played two and three players or three and four players. I'm not sure. I never played the old edition. Uh, but this is the, whatever the name of that game was, I forget what it's called. But this one is more readily in print. This is a almost perfect three-player game, although we'll get to an actual perfect three-player game later. Um, but it plays good, fine with two and four. I would say I probably prefer it with three and four. Two is is fine, but if you want to get the most bang for your buck out of this game, uh, The King is Dead. This is a very simple kind of card-driven area control game, a lot like an El Grande or a Midgard or some of the more, you know, we call old-school uh, area control games. But this does enough to kind of like fix all of the problems that a lot of people, because I, I run into people uh, fairly often, that are just not into area control. They just are sick of it. They don't like how you can, it's kind of a take that thing where you're in your area, you know, it's taken away and you're like, I'm over here and I'm trying to fight Billy, but then Frankie comes in here and takes my area and now you're both picking on me or you two are picking on each other and I'm able to waltz through. And so that is a problem with three player games, but it's also a problem kind of in general with area control games. And this has a lot of interesting uh, ways of fixing it. It also kind of reminds me of a little bit more, eh, let's call it elegant or streamlined or refined Condottieri, which is an old FFG game, which I really liked, which I played a lot at lunch. Um, I don't necessarily think if you liked Condottieri, if you'd like this or vice versa, because Condottieri is more of an Ameritrash version of The King's Dead. But if you wanted a more, you know, a little bit more dry version of that game, then I would say The King's Dead. But I would not say that the actual outcome of the game is dry. The presentation of it is dry. The rules are very, you know, elegant and dry, but it's a lot of fun. You know, there's a lot of gnashing of teeth and stuff like that here. And there's a lot of gnashing of decision uh, with The King is Dead. So it's really uh, a small, compact, fine-tuned, honed-in area control game that works really well at frankly, all the player counts, but it's specifically the three-player count. It works really, really well um, with the way this stuff comes out. Like, if you're a, f a fan of that old game Tammany Hall, uh, which I'm not sure if it's still out and around, uh, but that's kind of a really cutthroat uh, area control game, probably one of the most cutthroat of all time. This is kind of in that ballpark, um, but just a little bit of the edge shaved off on this, and you can get it done, this done much quicker. You could play this in like a half an hour. So I definitely recommend uh, The King is Dead. And that was number seven. So number six is Skull King. And this is a new acquisition uh, for me here. Um, and now to be honest with you, this is not something I've actually played at lunch. I've played it with the family and with the game group, and I've played it at conventions a bunch now. Um, but a million percent, not having played with anybody of my friends at, at work at lunch, for me, I know this is a good lunch game. Because you'll, as you'll see, you know, some of the other games I've talked about now, but definitely some of the games coming after this are right in this ballpark. Now, Skull King is a few years old. It's a trick-taking game. And it has some really interesting, funky rules. And I need to get around to giving it a proper review. I want to play it a few more times, honestly, to do a review. But I know already I love it. Uh, I've played it with several people that have gone out and bought it. And, you know, when I first played it at a convention, Token Con in Oklahoma City last year, uh, after I played it, I was like, oh, 
I need to go get this now. And so I think you can get it on Amazon for like 12 bucks or something. Maybe it was on sale when I got it. But you can get it pretty cheap. And it has just some really cool uh, twists on trick-taking things. So the gist of it is you play on your first game, first round, you play, everybody has one card and you play one trick. On the second round, you play two tricks. But before you do that, you're going to bid how many of those tricks you're going to take. So you play all the way up to 10. So on the 10th round, everybody has 10 cards, so you play 10 tricks. And you bid the exact number that you want to get and if you hit or don't hit that, you get some penalties and so on. So it has this real interesting scaling thing where the way that you sort of look out at the landscape of how this round is gonna go, it's gonna be very different. So if you have one card, you kind of know all the suits and the values and some of the special cards and stuff like that. You go, well, I got this, so my bid is gonna be easy. But you start to get up to four or five cards in a hand, then it gets a little bit tricky, especially when you have 10 cards in a hand. But then you might have some really cool comeback from behind victories, because the later hands are worth a lot more points, obviously, because you know, you're gonna be playing more tricks and so on. It's just a really cool arc, and it has some interesting kind of special power cards. It's not a traditional deck of cards or anything like that, but it's pretty close, like three suits with a special suit and a couple of special cards. And there's some interesting ways to kind of, uh, they get around kind of sloughing off tricks, because if you don't hit exactly the trick count that you bid, let's say we're playing on round eight, and you say, I'm gonna take five of these, and you win five really quickly, you're like, well, I don't want them anymore, because you gotta hit it exact. There are some interesting cards that you can kind of get around um, uh, that are sort of different than your normal kind of sloughing off thing. So that's number six, Skull King. And number five is the Dwarf King. This is from Bruno Fiduti, also several years old. It's another trick-taking game. Uh, this one kind of does the same thing as Skull King in a way, but it does it with sort of variable powers uh, not only in the hand of cards that you're going to deal to players as they play their tricks, but also in like how you score the rounds. So you have three suits, and then you deal in like a special kind of bomb superpowered card that's going to be different each round. And there's a bunch of those in the box, and then there's like you get the most points, uh, or you get the, you win if you have the fewest red cards, or you win if you have the few the most red cards, or the most like uh, face cards, like princes and kings and stuff. So the variability of like what you're actually trying to go for is going to change uh, each round there, and that's really what sort of seals the deal. I've seen that a lot of times in a lot of kind of other trick taking games where they kind of just they kind of turn it on its head and they play around with like how you're trying to get you know points or score uh you know but it's it's a little bit above and beyond like hearts and spades it's like this is and this one specifically to me is by far the best and i've not played every single one but i played a lot of these and to me this one is the most fun and whimsical and just it's chaotic in a good way because it's chaotic to start each round but then you're like oh i see what i could probably try to do and then you kind of weave your way in and out with that and this one's just been a staple here of of any group that i've played it with and I really recommend folks run out and pick up the Dwarfing. It's a cool production too. It's got really cool funky shaped cards with really cool art. And the way they, it's kind of a fantasy setting and the way they kind of interact and stuff like that. There's some like dragon cards and things like that. And there's some, just some interesting things about how this approaches it. And it's really a fun and tight design actually, even though it looks on surface like there's a lot of chaos. So again, if you like this kind of trick taking style, uh, you, know, you can't really go wrong with Skull King or Dwarf King. Although I give kind of the nod to Dwarf King because it's a little bit more, uh, just slightly, just barely slightly on the kind of fun side. Now number four is a two-player game called Court 
of the Medici or Court of the Medici. Uh, this is an old game from Z-Man. I don't think this is in print anymore, so I feel a little bit bad about mentioning it. But I believe they did come out with another edition a few years ago. You can probably find this pretty easily, definitely on BoardGameGeek or somewhere else. And it's going to be relatively cheap uh, to find. This is a two-player only game. And I don't really know how to compare it. I know it's a little bit like an old Italian card game, a traditional card game called Scopa or something like that. Gosh, I can't remember the name of it. So it's not a traditional deck of cards. Everybody has two identical deck of cards. And their numbers from like 1 or 0 to 15. And there's a couple of special ability cards. This is another one that can play very, very quickly. And so you might want to play this one in sort of like a tournament setting, like best out of 7 or something. Or you could you could do a, kind of a scoring thing, but I wouldn't do that. I would just do like best of 7. And he has an interesting thing where you're trying to basically remove all the other players, let's call them courtiers or courtesans from court and kind of through like backstabbing, manipulation, alliances and things like that. But all through like kind of pure number uh, stuff. Uh, I do a video for it, it's super old and crappy. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it is crappy. <laughs> and then, you know, if you want to get more details on, on watch that. Because it's a little tricky to kind of explain, but you're like building stacks of cards, but you can add your cards to your opponent's stacks and vice versa. And basically, as you build the stacks, you can zap and sort of kill off other stacks. And there's like this inner and outer court thing. So cards are played in the center of the table or in front of each of the players. And you kind of try to build these stacks to go in and then dominate the inner court or just dominate overall. Or just have, kind of have the most points on the board at the end. Usually it ends in bloody murder. And you can see where um, uh, some games are going to take you like a couple of minutes. Like three, four minutes. And it's just over quickly. But then you have some really good games back and forth. And there's, you know, it takes like eight to ten minutes per game. Uh, so it's really kind of interesting. And once you kind of... This one, I always say this with this one. Give this one like a good half a dozen plays. Like I say, it's not going to take you long, but then you'll kind of see how different the games can be and kind of the ebb and flow and the power of like some of these. There's the Joker card, uh, which is like an X. You can set that variable power. Like you can think, oh, I'm going to play this and I can do what I want, but then it can be used against you, which is very interesting. And then there's like a, the Lady in Waiting and the Minister cards are also the kind of the two interesting sort of uh, dynamic, funky cards. Uh, and so... As you kind of see how those can get played out over a course of a couple of games, then I think you can start to absorb the game and and, uh, and be into it. And so this one really feels like, you know, you're in court at one of these old-timey, uh, you know, pre-post-Renaissance era, you know, Medici era types of things. Courts in Europe with a bunch of jokers backstabbing each other. Not well, not the joke. Yeah, but they're all a bunch of jokers, really. All the nobility and all this nonsense. Uh, or if you really like Game of Thrones and you liked all of like the King's Landing stuff, where they're sort of like backstabbing and you know that kind of thing and jockeying for power positions, uh, I would love to see like a Game of Thrones uh, theme version of this. Um, but it's fine. You can kind of you can kind of make believe too. That really kind of gets into that vibe and theme of just rich people just acting like fools. So that's Court of the, the Medici. And then number three is going to be a game called Chimera. And I'm going to call this one is Chimera and More. So I reviewed Chimera years ago. And Chimera originally was a three-player only ladder climbing game. Like Tichu or Big Two or Zhang Fan. And there's all, all these um, old um, 
well, they're not all Chinese, but so some pretend to be Chinese games, but they're kind of based on some original Chinese games. And then uh, this is this is no similar. So this is basically Teach You for three players. It's it plays very much like Teach You, but slightly different. And the reason I really like this game now, this one this one plays three and five players. I've not had a chance to play this one yet with five, uh, but I did get this recently uh, from Eagle Griffin. And I had a chance to break it out again and play a few times with three again. And I was like, man, this is such a good game. Uh, and I had always hung on to the, the other three-player game, a uh, three-player only game. But this is really, I, I freaking love this game. Now we're getting like to the top of the list is my number three, right? This game is so cool because the best part of it is when you play a three-player game of it, and it works a little similar to a five-player, right through the rules and stuff. Uh, so one player, you kind of bid at the beginning, and then one player becomes the Chimera, and the other two players are playing against them. So it's one versus two, and that's going to shift each round. So as you're sort of bidding and stuff, you're like, well, if I go in and I go for it, and I've got a good hand, then I'm going to try to bid it up a little bit, um, and then you know try to dominate that way. And it does give you some kind of, uh, uh, you know, some kind of leeway. It gives you a little bit of a bonus. There's like a little. Uh, trap of cards that you get to add to your hand and so on and the other players get to pass cards and there's a bunch of different kind of combinations of cards in this one in terms of how you play your runs and things like that and there's some cool little bomb situations and stuff so it's a really finely tuned crafted game but to me the best part of it is you have this shifting team alliance thing where okay let's say you're also playing to like 300 points well, that's going to kind of like influence how you want to bid because if Billy's running away with it, you're like, well, let's just play against this Joker and just take him out. Um, and so you can, you can, that kind of comes into how you're bidding and things like that. Um, and then, you know, there's ways to score points like in the cards that you collect above and beyond how well you bid. You know, similar to Skull King, you want to try to, you will try to go out first or, or get what you're going to say you're going to get. And then you might, you know, steal cards from another player because you're like, oh, if I let them have these points, but that's going to throw off the whole dynamic of the two versus one. So there's all these kind of tensions kind of going back and forth. And that's just a really neat thing. And to me, this is like the perfect three-player game because you're always shifting teams. You're always kind of keeping in mind. You're always trying to get little jabs in, even if they're on your team and so on. And then just the way the card plays and sort of the setting up the combinations and the runs and stuff keeps it very, very interesting. I will, so ha- I will say, having looked through the five-player rules, if you do pick this up, I would not play with five players my first time playing it because uh, they're a little bit more involved. There's a bunch of extra cards you have to add to it. Uh, but I still am excited, and I hope to play it uh, uh, with five players. I have played this one now with my game group, uh, not just my lunch group, and um, they they are excited to play. Well, a couple of them are excited to play it with uh, five players as well. So hopefully, we can get a quorum of folks to play with five players. But I would, even if you're not playing, like if you just get this to play with just three players, that's get it. It's it's friggin' amazing uh, as a three player game, and I can't recommend it more. It's like the absolute perfect three-player game of course you gotta like ladder climbing style games too i think even even if you don't i don't know i would say there'd be a good percentage of people that would still like it just because that shifting team dynamic idea all right that's number three chimera now number two here is a san juan this is the second edition of san juan I don't think you can find first edition anymore. If, if you do see it, don't get first edition, get second edition, because it's got some of the expansion stuff in here, which makes the game uh, near perfect. Uh, it's a two to four player game. This is kind of like the Puerto Rico card game, although I like this a billion times better than Puerto Rico. 
it's definitely a little bit more abstract. Everything is just a building in the game. There's no, there's nothing else. You're just building buildings and discarding cards that are buildings to pay for the other cards that are buildings. And then you're generating some goods, which are cards. You flip the cards off and you put those on your production uh, buildings and those become goods and then you sell them and you get more cards, which is, again, you discard to pay for other buildings. And all the buildings score points and they have combos and they all work together, kind of like Magic the Gathering, sort of, if you played Magic. I've, I've talked to a lot of people that play mostly just Magic that know this game and they're like, I love San Juan. That's a fantastic game. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's it's like the first time I played this, you could almost call this one like a gateway game for me, even though I was already kind of getting hooked and stuff at the time. When I played this, I was like, oh, this is sweet. This is Magic in a $20 box and it's all one deck of cards and we can just play it and I can just try to f- piece together combos through my card draw it's just fantastic it's such a cool game like if you like puerto rico and stuff like that and roll for the galaxy and all that you got to get this and if you're like more of a card gamer or a magic the gathering player this is just such an easy pickup and play and just have a blast playing um i mean it looks a little bland if you want to be all like one of these snooty folks that are like oh it looks all bland and euroy and brown I don't, it doesn't, why, don't do that to yourself. You're, you're going to be neglecting amazing, fun, easy to play type of thing. This is, this one played with the family, the game group, the lunch group, other players. It's not like race where you have this whole giant mess of complexity, which, you know, whatever, it's a waste of time compared to this. I just really like this game. I really like Waste of the Galaxy 2, don't get me wrong. But this is just like, it's like I said, so close to perfect in terms of like how you deal with everything. Um, the card combo thing, there's, and the reason I say again, get the second edition, the first edition did have like a couple of like stronger strategies and some other strategies around that were weaker. So if you didn't get some of those key cards in the main strategies, you weren't gonna win. And that's after several plays of playing it. Um, if you're, if everybody at the table is new, it don't matter. But this one adds some other kind of wrinkles. So there's more varied strategies uh, so just it's the lifetime of the game is going to be that much longer. So definitely get that second edition. And so that's number two, San Juan. Number one, and I got to apologize because when I did my top 50 last year, I really wasn't thinking about my lunchtime games. And I think I even mentioned that during the top 50. Uh, I mean, San Juan is high on the list. But again, this, is, this has been one that, you know, it's been great at lunch. Don't get me wrong, but it's been a great forever and in many situations there's a game that i neglected i really i mean there's some kind of penance or something i need i need to do because it's just it's unacceptable um, my behavior in this situation uh let's just cut to it though the game is called arboretum which i've talked about uh reviewed and talked about in the past um this one i've rated a 10 on Board Game Geek, and I did not include it on my top 50 games of all time. It's really outrageous. Um, this is a perfect, perfect game. Now, it would not be my number one game of all time. The ratings I give games don't really have to do with how much I like a game. It's how much, almost like how much I respect the game in some ways. And so this, I don't know where this would fall in my top 50. It might be in my top 25, but it would be in my top 50 for sure. Um, but if you said lunchtime game, I'm going to say, here it is, Arboretum. You can play this in half an hour. It plays amazing with two players. It plays amazing with three players. It plays amazing with four players. 
It's absolute perfection in game design. Uh, what this is, is you have a set of trees and you're building a little network of trees on the board. And then as people play and you kind of draw through the deck, similar to like Lost Cities, if you ever played Lost Cities, this is just a better game that plays also three and four players. And so once that deck runs out, you're gonna score your little contraption of trees that you've laid out. But you're only gonna score if you've kept trees matching the colors that you've put out there and you have the most points in the trees. But you wanna play the cards on the table because then you're gonna score more points. But if somebody has more cards of that color in their hand, they have the rights to score them. So yeah, there's a real interesting balancing act of the cards that you keep versus the cards that you play, watching all the cards that everybody else keeps and plays. You can pick out of the discard pile like you can in Lost Cities. You can pick off the top of the deck. There's some pacing in terms of the, how the game's gonna play out because obviously the more that you're drawing off the top of the deck, the quicker the game's gonna move along. You can, might just draw out of the discard pile because you know, you're pretending like you need the card, but you're really kind of stalling the game a little bit. Um, so there's just a lot going on on a very, very simple game that's easy to teach. The scoring takes about a minute or two of explanation, but it's not, you know, the end of the world. Um, cause there's some different things. Like if you start your run of trees with a number one and end it with an eight and how many cards are in the run of trees and all that. So there's some intricacies there, but not really too much. Um, so this, like I said, I played this with family game group, lunch group. I played it at conventions. Love it. It's perfect. It's a perfect game. It's a 10 and I didn't put it in my top 50. <sighs> I don't know what kind of punishment I should, I should do. I don't, I can't think of anything, but it's ridiculous that I didn't <laughs> my top 50. I'm so upset. All right. So that's our number one Arboretum. This is, if you, if you take nothing else away from this video, I talked about all these fantastic games. If you don't go out and purchase Arboretum and you don't already have it, then you should be punished somehow. I don't know how. I think it should be fair. It shouldn't be egregious. The sentence, you know, should should fit the crime. But Arboretum is an absolute perfect game. And I just, it comes out and I play it. And this is why it didn't have my top 50. I'll play it and play it. And then I'll put it away and forget about it. Six, eight months, 12 months. And it'll come out and I'll be like, oh yes, I forgot about you. You are perfect. <laughs> anyway, so that's my top 10 lunch games. Uh, um, so take a look. All of these I highly recommend. Again, Muterer is a little hard to find, but you know, other than that, you should be able to pick up just about any of these pretty readily. And I think uh, if you have a lunch group, you have a type of group where you know you've only got an hour usually to play, or you like to play kind of smaller games. You don't like to break out these big heavy behemoths and that kind of thing. I think without a doubt. Again, these are a lot of these are card driven. But again, my kind of the lunch situation, you don't really have sometimes a lot of room, like a break room or something or whatever that you can break out a big board and stuff. Although with King is Dead, this this is this is not a very big board or anything like that. So you're you're not taking up too much space. So we just we have these like little tables you can play on, and uh, they're terrible for playing card games on. Actually, um, they just chew up cards like these mesh things. Anyway, so anyway, that's the top ten lunch games. Hope you enjoyed the video. Uh, take care of yourselves. Go out and borrow a burrito. Don't neglect it like I have. Thanks.